Chapter One, Part One of Books Fatal to Their Authors. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Margaret Espayat. Books Fatal to Their Authors by Peter H. Ditchfield. Chapter One, Part One Theology. Since the knowledge of truth is the sovereign good of human nature, it is natural that in every age she should have many seekers, and those who ventured in quest of her in the dark days of ignorance and superstition, amidst the mists and tempests of the sixteenth century, often ran counter to the opinions of dominant parties, and fell into the hands of foes who knew no pity. Inasmuch as theology and religion are the highest of all studies, the aroma scientiarium, they have attracted the most powerful minds and the subtlest intellects to their elucidation. No other subjects have excited men's minds and aroused their passions as these have done. On account of their unspeakable importance, no other subjects have kindled such heat and strife, or proved themselves more fatal to many of the authors who wrote concerning them. In an evil hour, persecutions were resorted to to force consciences, Roman Catholics burning and torturing Protestants, and the latter retaliating and using the same weapons. Surely this was, as Bacon wrote, to bring down the Holy Ghost, instead of the likeness of a dove, in the shape of a vulture or raven, and to set, out of the bark of a Christian church, a flag of a bark of pirates and assassins. The historian, then, will not be surprised to find that by far the larger number of fatal books deal with these subjects of theology and religion, and many of them belong to the stormy period of the Reformation. They met with severe critics in the merciless Inquisition, and sad was the fate of a luckless author who found himself opposed to the opinions of that dread tribunal. There was no appeal from its decisions and if a taint of heresy, or of what it was pleased to call heresy, was detected in any book, the doom of its author was sealed, and the ingenuity of the age was well-nigh exhausted in devising methods for administering the largest amount of torture before death ended his woes. Tantum religio potuit suadere malorum. Liberty of conscience was a thing unknown in the sixteenth and seventeenth centuries, and while we prize that liberty as a priceless possession, we can but admire the constancy and courage of those who lived in less happy days. We are not concerned now in condemning or defending their opinions or their beliefs, but we may at least praise their boldness and mourn their fate. The first author we record whose works proved fatal to him was Michael Molinos, a Spanish theologian born 1627, a pious and devout man who resided at Rome and acted as confessor. He published in 1675 the Spiritual Manual, which was translated from Italian into Latin, and together with a treatise on the daily communion was printed with this title, A Spiritual Manual, Releasing the Soul and leading it along the interior way to the acquiring the perfection of contemplation and the rich treasure of internal peace. In the preface, Molinos writes, 
mystical theology is not a science of the imagination, but of feelings. We do not understand it by study, but we receive it from heaven. Therefore, in this little work, I have received far greater assistance from the infinite goodness of God, who has deigned to inspire me, than from the thoughts which the reading of books has suggested to me. The object of the work is to teach that the pious mind must possess quietude in order to attain to any spiritual progress, and that for this purpose it must be abstracted from visible objects, and thus rendered susceptible of heavenly influence. This work received the approval of the Archbishop of the Kingdom of Calabria, and many other theologians of the Church. It won for its author the favor of Cardinal Estreus, and also of Pope Innocent the Eleventh. It was examined by the Inquisition at the instigation of the Jesuits, and passed that trying ordeal unscathed. But the book raised up many powerful adversaries against its author, who did not scruple to charge Molinos with Judaism, Mohammedanism, and many other isms, but without any avail, until at length they approached the confessor of the King of Naples, and obtained an order addressed to Cardinal Estreus for the further examination of the book. The cardinal preferred the favor of the king to his private friendship. Molinos was tried in 1685, and two years later was conducted in his priestly robes to the temple of Minerva, where he was bound, and holding in his hand a wax taper, was compelled to renounce sixty-eight articles which the Inquisition decreed were deduced from his book. He was afterwards doomed to perpetual imprisonment. On his way to the prison he encountered one of his opponents and exclaimed, Farewell, my father, we shall meet again on the day of judgment, and then it will be manifest on which side, on yours or mine, the truth shall stand. For eleven long years Molinos languished in the dungeons of the Inquisition, where he died in 1696. His work was translated into French and appeared in a Recul des pieds sur le quietisme, published in Amsterdam in 1688. Molinos has been considered the leader and founder of the quietism of the 17th century. The monks of Mount Athos in the 14th, the Molinosists, Madame Gouillon, Fenelon, and others in the seventeenth century, all belonged to that contemplative company of Christians who thought that the highest state of perfection consisted in the repose and complete inaction of the soul, that life ought to be one of entire passive contemplation, and that good works and active industry were only fitting for those who were toiling in a lower sphere, and had not attained to the higher regions of spiritual mysticism. Thus the Asuchastai on Mount Athos contemplated their nose, or their navel, and called the effect of their meditations the divine light, and Molinos pined in his dungeon, and left his works to be castigated by the renowned Bousuet. The pious, devout, and learned Spanish divine was worthy of a better fate, and perhaps a little more quietism, and a little less restlessness would not be amiss in our busy nineteenth century. The noblest prey ever captured by those keen hunters, the Inquisitors, was Bartholomew Carranza, Archbishop of Toledo in 1558, 
one of the richest and most powerful prelates in Christendom. He enjoyed the favor of his sovereign Philip II of Spain, whom he accompanied to England, and helped to burn our English Protestants. Unfortunately, in an evil hour he turned to authorship, and published a catechism under this title, Comentario sobre el Catequismo Cristiano, divididos en cuatro partes, las cuales contienen todo lo que profesa amor en el Santo Baptismo, como se verá en la plana siguiente dirigidos al serenísimo Roy de España, Antwerp. On account of this work he was accused of Lutheranism, and his capture arranged by his enemies. At midnight, after the archbishop had retired to rest, a knock was heard at the door of the chamber. "'Who calls?' asked the attendant friar. "'Open to the holy office,' was the answer. Immediately the door flew open, for none dared resist that terrible summons, and Ramirez, the inquisitor-general of Toledo, entered. The archbishop raised himself in his bed, and demanded the reason of the intrusion. An order for his arrest was produced, and he was speedily conveyed to the dungeons of the Inquisition at Valladolid. For seven long years he lingered there, and was then summoned to Rome in 1566 by Pius V, and imprisoned for six years in the castle of St. Angelo. The successor of Pope Pius V, Gregory VIII, at length pronounced him guilty of false doctrine. His catechism was condemned, he was compelled to abjure sixteen propositions, and, besides other penances, he was confined for five years in a monastery. Broken down by his eighteen years' imprisonment, and by the hardships he had undergone, he died sixteen days after his cruel sentence had been pronounced. On his deathbed he solemnly declared that he had never seriously offended with regard to the faith, the people were very indignant against his persecutors, and on the day of his funeral all the shops were closed as on a great festival. His body was honored as that of a saint. His captors doubtless regretted his death, inasmuch as the Pope is said to have received a thousand gold pieces each month for sparing his life, and Philip appropriated the revenues of his see for his own charitable purposes which happened at that time to be suppression of heresy in the Netherlands by the usual means of rack and fire and burying alive helpless victims. A very fatal book was one entitled Opus de Anno Primitivo ab Exordia Mundi ad Annum Julianum Accomodato et de Sacrorum Temporum Ratione, Auguste Vindelicorum, 1621, in Folio Magno. It is a work of Jerome Wecchietas, a Florentine doctor of theology. The Inquisition attacked and condemned the book to the flames and its author to perpetual imprisonment. Being absent from Rome, he was comparatively safe, but surprised the whole world by voluntarily submitting himself to his persecutors and surrendering himself to prison. This extraordinary humility disarmed his foes, but it did not soften much the hearts of the inquisitors who permitted him to end his days in the cell. The causes of the condemnation of the work are not very evident. One idea is that in his work the author pretended to prove that Christ did not eat the Passover during the last year of his life, 
and another states that he did not sufficiently honor the memory of Louis of Bavaria, and thus aroused the anger of the strong supporters of that ancient house. The first English author whose woes we record is Samuel Clark, who was born at Norwich in 1675, and was for some time chaplain to the bishop of that see. He was very intimate with the scientific men of his time, and especially with Newton. In 1704 he published his Boyle Lectures, a treatise on the being and attributes of God, and on natural and revealed religion, which found its way into other lands, a translation being published in Amsterdam in 1721. Our author became chaplain to Queen Anne and rector of St. James. He was a profoundly learned and devout student, and obtained a European renown as a true Christian philosopher. In controversy he encountered foemen worthy of his steel, such as Spinoza, Hobbes, Dodwell, Collins, Leibniz, and others but in 1712 he published The Scriptural Doctrine of the Trinity, which was declared to be opposed to the Christian belief, and tainted with Arianism. The attention of Parliament was called to the book. The arguments were disputed by Edward Wells, John Edwards, and William Summer, and Clark was deprived of his offices. The charge of heterodoxy was certainly never proved against him, he did good service in trying to stem the flood of rationalism prevalent in his time, and his work was carried on by Bishop Butler. His correspondence with Leibniz on Time, Space, Necessity, and Liberty was published in 1717, and his editions of Caesar and Homer were no mean contributions to the study of classical literature. In the sixteenth century there lived in Hungary one Francis David, a man learned in the arts and languages, but his inconstancy and fickleness of mind led him into diverse errors and brought about his destruction. He left the church and first embraced Calvinism. Then he fled into the camp of the semi-Judaizing party, publishing a book, De Cristo non invocando, which was answered by Faustus Socinus, the founder of Socinianism. The Prince of Transylvania, Christopher Bathory, condemned David as an impious innovator and preacher of strange doctrines, and cast him into prison, where he died in 1579. There is extant a letter of David to the churches of Poland concerning the millennium of Christ. End of Part 1